3: Welcome to Feast Your Ears. I'm Harry Rosenbloom from the Brooklyn Kitchen. Join me every Wednesday as I talk with people about what they do and how it influences their personal food stories. This is a show about people, life, and food. Today's episode number 88 of Feast Your Ears, and I am super excited to be joined by Sri Rao. Sri has an incredible story to tell us about his new book uh, called Bollywood Kitchen. The book comes out November 7th, and it's an incredibly accessible look at Indian food through an American lens that also includes a look at Bollywood films uh, combined with that food. Thanks, Sri, for joining me. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. So the book uh, is is beautiful uh, and Thanks. comes out on November seventh, and we'll we'll talk a little bit more about that. But I want to know a little bit more about you and how uh, you know your family uh, came here from India and and how you got connected to Bollywood. So you are the only American-born writer. Sure, Writing in yes. Bollywood, is that correct? Uh, I'm the
4: first American-born screenwriter to have written a major Bollywood movie. Yeah.
3: Wow, that's awesome. Congratulations. Thank you.
4: Thank you. It was a, it was a long journey to get there, yeah. but it, fe- <laughs> it feels really good now that it's done.
3: <laughs> so your father came to the United States in 1959.
4: That's right. My dad came here to go to college at a time when there were very few Indians in the entire country. There was only around 10,000 Indians when my dad came here.
3: Yeah, I mean, I, I had no idea about that. When I read the introduction to your book, I mean, I grew up in, in outside New York City, and so kind of always. You know, there was an Indian restaurant in my town right. and we came to, you know, came to Manhattan, we bought spices in the East Village and, and you know, mm-hmm. sort of, I had a sense of Indian uh, food and culture as being one of those other immigrant groups from mm-hmm. Asia, say like Chinese or Korean or Japanese and to to come to learn that it was illegal. Until 1965, in many cases, for Indians to immigrate here at all—that's
4: right. Yeah, most people aren't aware of the uh, history of immigration from India and other parts of the world to our country. You know, prior to 1965, as you mentioned, it was illegal, essentially illegal. There was maybe a a handful of Indians that came over to help build the railroads in the uh, in the in the turn of the century. But um, when my dad came, yeah, there were very few. And in 1965, in the wake of Selma um, and the Voter Registration Act, Congress had sort of a wave of. Liberalism, and at the same time, passed what is known as the Immigration and Naturalization Reform Act, which, for the first time, allowed, which lifted the quotas on immigration from Asian countries, including India, and for the first time, allowed immigrants to um, come come from India in, in larger numbers. So So, we're a relatively new immigrant group. and, And that's part of the story, which is that, you know, I'm one of my peer group. We're amongst the oldest American born Indians in this country. So people like me and Mindy Kaling and Aziz Ansari and Sanjay Gupta, um, Nikki Haley, we're, uh, the first of our generation to be born here. And that's why you're now just starting to hear our names in different fields, whether that be in entertainment or
3: in politics. And... Sure. And, and I think that, you know, the, the, we can, we can move to the food aspect of it and talk about the, you know, similar thing that, so, you know, if we've, if we've only had Indian restaurants in this country for a very short amount of time, we've had, you know, right. we've had Chinese restaurants in New York for, you know, well over a hundred years, mm-hmm. um, and i think the you know at, at the museum of food and drink they they current you know chow is their current uh their current exhibit about Chinese restaurant, I think the oldest continuously run Chinese restaurant is out west from when the building of the railroads in the 19th century. You know, the oldest Indian restaurant in America is probably 50 years old. At
4: the most, (laughs) I would say. Um, There's a long tradition of Indian restaurants in Great Britain, in London. London has some of the best Indian food in the world, even better than some of the food in India. But in the United States, um, unfortunately, in my personal opinion, the food that we know as Indian food here is very specific and does not represent the food that that most Indians eat at home. Right. Uh, and that's what, and that's a lot of what I want to introduce in my book. So we're just now starting to have the conversation in the food community about what is Indian American food going to look like in this country going forward? Because up until now, um, Indian food was uh, represented by the food and restaurants that were primarily founded by men who came over from one particular region of India, from Punjab or from North India, uh, more generally. And so they were trying to replicate the food that they grew up eating in their homeland. And that is very different than the food that I grew up eating in America in an Indian household and that um, the rest of my generation grew up eating.
3: Right. And, and, you know, and and, I mean, not that I think, you know, most listeners probably aware of this, but I mean, India... I believe, is the second most populous country on That's the right. planet. Yeah. So, you know, we're, we're not talking about a small place either where, <laughs> right. you know, there's a lot of regional specificity yes. in terms uh, of food. It's not
4: a small place, but if you judged by Indian restaurants in this country, right. you would think that everyone ate chicken tikka masala yep. and yep. naan and tandoori chicken, and yep. the truth is that I don't eat any of those three <laughs> things at home, well, and you most point people out, don't.
3: You point out in the introduction to your book, which I love, is that, you know, the way most Americans, I mean, the way I grew up, right, is you'd go to an Indian restaurant and you'd order all those things you just said, mm-hmm. and then maybe some biryani, and you'd put put it all on a plate and you'd mix it all together yes. and you'd eat it as this kind of like weird mush which <laughs> yes. is you know i mean i guess it would be akin to like you know here like i don't know if you ordered like a hamburger and lasagna and
2: some and guacamole. And some guacamole, <laughs> and then mixed it all together
3: and ate it in a pita. <laughs> yeah, right?
4: That's exactly what that says. So it's really shocking and disheartening when I go to Indian restaurants with some of my non-Indian friends. Well, not at this point, because they've all been educated by me. <laughs> but um, And they order this sort of hodgepodge of foods that don't go together at all and aren't the way that they're supposed to be eaten. And the problem is because, again, in these restaurants, um, they uh, the restaurant owners traditionally have written the menus the way that western american menus are written so there's appetizers soups entrees side dishes um but that's not actually the way that indian food is meant to be eaten indian food is meant to be eaten and sort of um uh, the meal is constructed as a whole where you take the plate in the center of the plate is either rice or bread and then around the perimeter of the plate is a variety of different meats and vegetables and lentils um all of which are, are composed to complement each other in terms of taste and textures and, and flavors and colors. So not just a pile of mush. Right, <laughs> not
3: just a pile of mush, hopefully. <laughs> um, so tell me a little bit about what role films played in your childhood and in your family's connection back to India.
4: Well... Films for Indians are really a way of life. They're like a religion. I mean, I know that we think here in America that we're obsessed with Hollywood and that our movies do go around the world, which is true. But in India, it's on a whole other level, you know, because um, for most Indians who live under the poverty line, films are their only form of escape, the only way that they can have a chance to see other parts of the world and to see other ways of life. Um, And even for, you know, people who are, uh, you know, who are upper income, um, films are a very pivotal part of entertainment. And for for those of us here in this country, there's a sort of an added layer on top of it. Not only are we Indian, so we're really fanatical about our, our films, but on top of that, um, for my parents, for example, when they came here, for the first 20 years or so, they rarely went back to India. They went back maybe once or twice because it was so expensive at that time and it was so difficult to travel internationally. So these movies that they watched you know, every month when they used to get canisters of film reels shipped over from India and we would watch them in our local uh, college auditorium, just a couple of families in Pennsylvania, these movies were the only pictures that they saw of home for years at a time.
3: I mean, I love the, I mean, I, I imagine there being this network of, you know, Indian immigrants around the country who were shipping these films to one (laughs) another. And I mean, it's like this, to me, that's this incredible, you know, an incredible... Like, it's almost a Herculean effort to be able to have that happen. But it's also really cool. And it, and it's fascinating to think about before the internet. Right. Right. I mean, right now, sitting, anyone who's listening to this could be watching a Bollywood film on YouTube. Absolutely. Right. This second. Right. Absolutely. I mean, you know, and that was just impossible. It so was. the length that your mother went to <laughs> to arrange to get these canisters shipped and to borrow the projector in the college to watch them. And so, I mean, and was, there were
4: only six families at right? the day. <laughs> Right. <laughs> you know? So she negotiated, she found a tight. Little classified ad in a local newspaper in New York, because I grew up in a small town in Pennsylvania and we didn't have anything there in terms of Indian grocery stores or restaurants or certainly not newspapers, but she found a community paper on a trip up to New York, found a little classified ad of a guy who was advertising that he was able to get second-run films from India. She called him up, and he wanted something like $50, and they couldn't afford that, so she negotiated him down (laughs) in a true Indian mom fashion. She negotiated him down to $30, um, and he agreed to send them our way once he had made his rounds in the rest of the country. So we would get these beat-up old wooden um, crates of big film reel I remember as a really young kid going to the bus station in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, <laughs> late at night, at like at 1130 or night or something, the bus would pull in. Because the
3: film was coming.
4: Yeah, because the film was coming. That's so awesome. the bus would pull in from Chicago or, or New York or I don't even know where it came from. And then in, in the bottom of the bus would be these canisters, these crates, these canisters that my dad would get and that we would carry home and, um, and see a movie once a month.
3: That's really I mean that's that's great. And, and and so that was really the connection to home. And yeah. and so even back then were all or most of the films musicals?
4: All um Indian films are musicals. Wow. And, you know, some people you know, a lot of, you know, Indians these days are, are trying to come off as, I don't know, more sophisticated or something and trying to ex- Tell people that Bollywood is more than just musicals, and I'm just here to say that is not true. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, there,
3: there's something super compelling about musicals. Look yeah, at, I mean, look at Broadway, right? Broadway's look at Broadway. Look at La La Land. Look, I mean, yeah, look at look at that, and and we're seeing more films in English now that yes. are, that are following suit. It's just it's hard. I think. It's hard to imagine, you know, because we think of, you know, I, when I think of Hollywood, I think, okay, well, you know, you've got, uh, you know, you've got thrillers, you've got comedies, right. you've got romance, you've got drama, and each of those genres is its own specific type of movie, and musicals is one of those. Right, and in India. All the movies are musicals, yes. but they could be a drama exactly. or a thriller or an adventure film. Yes.
4: So Bollywood has all of those genres. It has um, horror films and, and action films and comedies and dramas. But yes, all of them are musicals. And I think it's something that we should be really proud of. Um, India has the largest movie industry in the world. Um, they produce something like 1,500 movies a year. Um, They sell twice as many tickets worldwide as Hollywood does. (laughs) And it's hugely popular, not just in India, but in Europe, in the Middle East, Great Britain. Um, This year, there was a Bollywood movie that broke into the uh, top three box office uh, uh, weekend grosses, a a film called Bahubali, which was this huge action film, sort of like Bollywood's answer to 300. And... uh, and, and and all of the films are, are musicals and and I think that we have sort of perfected Bollywood has sort of perfected that genre of how to tell stories with music
3: so tell me about your work as a screenwriter for Bollywood did, did that start here have you lived in India did no I've never there?
4: I've never lived in India no I you know I was born and raised and as I mentioned in a small town in Pennsylvania but growing up these films were such a big part of my life that I always had it in the back of my mind that maybe one day I, I would love to make one um, I've been writing all of of my life. I wrote my first play when I was in kindergarten and um, I have a career now as a screenwriter here in America. But a couple of years ago, I called up my agents and I said, you know, I have this crazy idea that maybe I can do something in Bollywood. And um, they were really um, helpful and supportive and and made some introductions for me and and sort of made it happen. And I wrote a script um, for a romantic drama. And um, it sort of made the rounds in, with studios in India, and got picked up by a couple of major studios, and then. Um, turned into uh, a major film that came out last year worldwide.
3: That's awesome. And that, that film was called barbar Bar Deco?
4: Yes, Barbar Bar Deco. And we are really proud because um, sort of one of the claims to fame of the movie is that we have a, a song in it called Kala Chashma, which is like the, no, it was the number one song of last year. It still is played at every single Indian wedding and every Indian function that you would ever go to, probably for a long time. So I'm really proud that 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 song, Kala Chashma, is from my movie.
3: And that's not uncommon, right? Where the songs that are in the films are also like top hits in right. the music industry. Right, so that's the other thing that
4: makes Bollywood really unique is that there is no pop music industry in India. So all of the, all of the songs that are played on the radio, all of the songs that you buy on iTunes are all songs from movies, um, which is a really interesting um, testament to to their music industry there that it's driven by films but the other thing that makes that really fun is that the the soundtrack for the film will come out before the film comes out as sort of a promotional tool so that by the time you go to see the movie in the theater you already know all the songs by heart right. and they're like the top 10 hits you know so it would be as if you know we went to a movie here and you know, they were playing like Justin Bieber and Katy Perry songs in in the movie. And you knew all of the words.
3: Yeah. I mean, I I just recently watched ghostbusters with my kids and was remarking about remembering that that song from the film was on the radio all the time. Right. Exactly. And I was trying to rack my brain to think about when that's happened since. And I don't feel like it's very, it is not very often in America that we sort of have that happen. I feel like it happens more with musicals say on Broadway you know like everybody you know people know the songs from hamilton but probably haven't seen the show
4: yeah that's right um but it would be even more fun if you if you knew the songs ahead of time before you even saw it yeah yeah yeah.
3: absolutely uh we're gonna take a short break and hear from one of our sponsors here at heritage radio and uh when we come back i want to dig into the recipes in the book
4: great
0: Come on, no, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on,
3: Welcome back to Feast Your Ears. I'm Harry Rosenbloom and today I'm joined by Sri Rao here in the studio, whose book, Bollywood Kitchen, comes out on November 7th. Uh, and uh, we were just before the break talking about Sri's work in Bollywood as the only uh, American-born screenwriter who's had a major Bollywood hit. Um, so Sri, again, thank you, for, uh, thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me. So the, the setup of the book is, uh, you know, I'm People who are listening might remember uh, the uh, dinner in a movie. Uh TV show, mm-hmm. uh, cooking show that existed uh, years ago, and the the setup of the the book is kind of like that. You present an Indian uh, Bollywood film, uh, and you, st- you it's sort of recent, right? We're talking about modern right. Bollywood films. Right.
4: I chose the best contemporary movies since yeah. from the mid '90s to present day because I really wanted all of the films to be easily accessible to people. So you can find all of these movies online on Netflix or iTunes, Amazon, and and watch them easily with subtitles.
3: So you don't have to order these giant cans of film (laughs) and find a projector right thankfully (laughs) although that would
4: probably be kind of fun too it might be kind of neat to do that
3: (laughs) indeed um so the so the setup of the book is that you you mention a movie uh right you you give the the layout the stars the theme the the genre the storyline and then you have a menu that pairs with it that's right Um, one of the things i really love about the way you've put it together is that you know i think that uh you know, we think of Indian cooking as being complicated. And I mm-hmm. think I think one of the reasons for that is that some of the dishes are, in fact, complicated if you look at traditional Indian right. dishes. But also, I think that they, they sometimes use a lot of spices. And so the ingredient list might be really long, yeah. but the technique
2: is very the cooking simple. time is very simple. And <laughs>
3: right. so as Americans, I think we get intimidated by, oh my gosh, there's 27 things in this. <laughs> yeah. But really, it's just squash right. with some spices. <laughs> right. Right? Exactly, yeah. Um, and, and the idea behind the book is that you can make these things at home and that very few of these menus are so complicated that you would need like an entire afternoon to make mm-hmm. but if you decided on a Tuesday that you were really interested and you wanted to you know make this make this meal and watch this Bollywood film yeah. you could totally do it
4: yeah absolutely I mean that is one of the big misconceptions about Indian cooking that I wanted to dispel with this book that it is complicated because it isn't and uh, particularly because of the way that Indian American families have been cooking for the last couple of decades you know when my mom came here there were no Indian grocery stores there it, she wasn't able to find obscure ingredients so they had to adapt and and modify their cooking techniques still very authentic and still having the flavors of home but in a more streamlined fashion so for example with with the spices you know one of the things that I mentioned in the book is that If you've ever cooked a pot of chili, if you've ever made Mexican food, then you probably have already in your pantry everything that you need to make about 75% of the recipes right. in my book. You know, it's very simple stuff like cumin and coriander, ginger and garlic that most people who cook regularly um, have on hand.
3: I mean, your, your mom's recipe for chemo, which you mentioned to me is like one of your favorite recipes of all time. It's the mm-hmm. second recipe in the book after your spiced popcorn, which I feel <laughs> right. like is a must. <laughs> is popcorn a traditional snack in Bollywood? Yeah, it when is. People yeah,
4: they, in yeah they go to see movies and they order popcorn and it's and it's typically a little spicy. Cool. It's it's. <laughs> It's good. It's <laughs> good awesome. popcorn. Yeah.
3: Um, and and the, the chemo recipe, you point out, you know, traditionally in India would have been made with mutton or lamb. Mm-hmm. But that's harder to get here. And Americans, you know, uh, you know, I'm, I know lots of Americans who say they don't like lamb because it yeah. gave me flavor. And mm-hmm. so your mom made it with ground beef. Yeah. Right? Yeah.
4: And most um, Indians and most Indian Americans um, eat beef. You know, those who aren't vegetarian. Of course, there is a huge proportion of them that are vegetarian. Sure. And there are a lot of vegetarian dishes in my book as a result of that. But if you eat meat and you're Indian American, chances are you eat beef because right. that's what we have here. Yeah, so it's,
3: it's the American, Americans prefer. Yes, meat right. Meat. So,
4: so I, I kind of also want to dispel the notion that, you know, that isn't authentically Indian somehow, right. because it actually is, you right. know, um, uh, if every Indian American that I know that eats meat, you know, if the majority of them are eating beef and are cooking it in Indian ways at home, then wow, well, what do you know? All of a sudden, that becomes authentic,
3: right? And and that I think is a, a great example when we get to you know when we talk about. Um, you know, immigrant food, mm-hmm. and how do you maintain this sort of the taste of home with ingredients that you can get more easily here, mm-hmm. and, and as you point out I mean these spices are in the chemo I mean this looks like, you know, if you were just going to read this ingredient list and not yeah. look at the technique and not look at the, you know your mm-hmm. description of the dish, you know, it's beef it's turmeric, it's oil, it's bay leaves, it's onions, it's garlic, it's ginger it's chili powder, it's cloves, it's cinnamon, it's tomato, it's coriander, yeah it's cilantro. Sounds like chili I mean, it sounds like carne. chili. It really, <laughs> yes. really does. Yeah, yeah. But it's the proportions of those things. Exactly. And it's how you're, how you're serving it and, mm-hmm. and what you're serving mm-hmm. it with that really, you know, kind of make it into an Indian dish. And
4: in that's almost. what I think is so exciting is it's because you'll find um, that Indian food is accessible and that it feels familiar. Like that dish feels like, um, you know, chili. There's another dish that's a masala crusted salmon that feels like a, a seared salmon that you might have um, at home or at a restaurant here in America. But maybe made in a slightly different way with slightly different spices to give it a whole new flavor. So, it's accessible but you can discover something entirely new.
3: Yeah, I mean another recipe that that jumped right out to me is your recipe for sweet and savory pumpkin. Um, mm. I happen to have a pumpkin sitting on my counter uh-huh. and I saw this recipe and I thought, "Oh, this sounds, you know, this sounds amazing." Oh, did you and try it? I I have not made it yet. Uh, I'm planning to make it's it. It's one of
4: my favorites. It's. I, I think you'll really enjoy it.
3: Yeah, I mean, it, and, and it, you know, and and this one, you know, the, the only thing I know yeah, that I don't this, have in my pantry has, is curry leaves. Right, exactly. That's the only exactly. thing I don't have. Um, so you know where can people find some of these ingredients like curry leaves yeah,
4: so there's a couple of and when I say a couple I mean you know I can count on one hand ingredients that you may not have curry leaves is one of them and curry leaves have no relation to curry powder just to explain that they're a leaf of a plant called the curry tree and um, they are used primarily in South Indian cooking you can find them at Indian grocery stores um, and most towns these days have at least one Indian grocery store even mid sized sure. cities have Indian grocery stores. The thing is, if you buy them once, you can keep them in the freezer and they'll stay for months and you just take them straight from the freezer um, and put them into your dish. It's really simple.
3: And I'm sure that, you know, for those of you who don't have a, an Indian grocery nearby, I'm sure you can order them online. I mean, now now that we do have the internet, yes, um, most of these things are available.
4: Most of these things them. are available on Amazon. And again, you know, curry leaves are probably um, used in maybe about seven or eight recipes in the entire book.
3: Um, and then, you know, you so, so almost the entire book is, is very recognizable ingredients. I mean, the, the mm-hmm. curry leaves I recognize, I don't have them in my pantry, but the squash or the pumpkin is a very right. recognizable ingredient. There's one recipe in the book, however, that you decided <laughs> to include that is not a real Western recognizable ingredient. That's for um, Don Dekaya.
4: Yes. Tell me about that. So I did, you know, for all the foodies out there, I did want to put a couple of surprises in here, a couple of new things that you may have not had before that would be a fun, you know, learning experience. So there is a vegetable called dundakaya. And in English, it's called ivy gourd. Not that that helps at all because no one's (laughs) ever heard of that either. Right. And it is this really peculiar vegetable that I absolutely love and all of my non-Indian friends who have tried it also love it. They are tiny, they look like tiny cucumbers. They look like little, almost like um, actually what they look like is they look like finger-sized watermelons. You know, they are <laughs> they are oblong and green and they have stripes on them just like a watermelon does. Um, but they're really tiny and then you, you cut into them and saute them very simply with some spices as I describe in my book and they have this fresh taste similar to um, a, a, similar to a cucumber um, or similar to zucchini but um, also uniquely their own which is why I felt like you couldn't make a substitution with that one. Yeah.
3: And again, that's a, a, that's an ingredient that should be readily available in an Indian yes, grocery store. you can
4: get that. You can get them at Indian grocery stores. They're called Ivy Gourd. You can find them easily.
3: Where in New York do you like to go to Indian grocery stores? I
4: go to a place called Spice Corner on 27th, 29th and Lex. Um, I've been going there um, for years, ever since I moved to New York like 20 years ago. But interestingly, uh, my mom, my parents, you know, when they moved here as, uh, as we mentioned in the in the 60s, there were no Indian grocery stores where they lived in Pennsylvania. So they would, once every couple of months, take a road trip to New York, four hours away, and they would go to Callistians. Sure. And that's where my mom would buy all of her spices and even her rice because she couldn't get rice um, in Pennsylvania where we lived and she would get mail order shipments from Callistians all the time so mm-hmm. I hope that my book will be sold in Callistians because it would be a really nice full circle moment for, oh, that'd our, be really our, for cool. our family.
3: Yeah, that'd be really nice. I mean, I, you know, it, it's so interesting because I feel like now you hear about people taking these sort of, you know, they go on these pilgrimages for food, right? Mm-hmm. Like people are driving to eat a hamburger or a right. lobster roll or, or this thing and, you know. Or coming to Roberta's for or, pizza. Exactly. <laughs> where, <laughs> we are right now <laughs> yes. um, you know but it's not out of the same kind of sort of necessity or like you know need mm-hmm. for home and it sounds like it was really you know it was really important to your parents to to maintain whatever connection they could yes being you know in a in a essentially foreign land where right. it was hard to hard, hard to have those connections at that time
4: yeah and for me um, that's why the food and the films are so meaningful because being born here and being raised here and I've only been to India a handful of times Times in my entire life, but I, I, I feel that I am deeply connected to my culture. I am very Indian and Indian American um, and the way that I learned about my heritage is through these meals, is through this food, is through these movies. I mean the movies are actually how I learned the language. Is how I learned Hindi was from watching these movies and the music was through the movies and then the meals, um, the, the dinner every night that my mom would prepare for us at 6 o'clock, like clockwork um, that's how I learned um, and felt connected to my relatives and to The place where my parents came from, even though I had never been there and and had never met them.
3: Yeah. Um, So, favorite Bollywood film? Do you have a favorite?
4: oh gosh um, there are I have so many favorites
3: I mean it sounds <laughs> like it's, it's really favorites. tough right because there's 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 so I mean you said 1500 a year yeah I mean, there going are so many like and you're talking to a guy who watches
4: a lot of them <laughs> and who loves a lot of them but there's a movie called English Vinglish which um, I really love because it's sort of an example of the new wave of Bollywood cinema in that they are becoming more realistic and naturalistic in their acting style and in their storytelling. This is a story about a woman who's middle-aged and lives in India who's a housewife who sees no value in her life other than the meals that she cooks for her family. And um, she has an opportunity to go by herself to America for a relative's wedding. So she comes to America, uh, ends up here in New York, doesn't speak English, and enrolls herself in an ESL class to learn how to speak English. And, and it's a story about her realizing her value um, in... In her own self-identity and food plays a large part of that because she's a cook and it takes place here in New York and um, so it has a nice mix of elements that I, I really love and that spoke to me
3: Cool. and what about favorite western movie Since clearly you're into film not oh, just Bollywood yeah. so.
4: um, well I'm a big fan of dramas so The Hours um, uh, and uh, Brokeback Mountain mm. um, are two of my favorites
3: cool um, so you're going on a book tour Yes. Uh, so yeah. the, the, the official launch for the book is on November 7th at MoFad. Museum yeah. Drink.
4: Right here in Brooklyn. Yeah. yeah. It's going to be on no- Tuesday, November 7th at 630. Um, 630 to 830. If people are around, they should definitely stop by. We're going to have Bollywood dancers. Um, we're going to have um, some food and some beer. And we're also going to have a Bollywood dance tutorial. So, so you I'll can come there. and learn a couple of moves. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold you to that. So... Um, yeah, and that, that's going to be the beginning of, of the book tour. The next night, we have a, a really great dinner at Pondicherry, which is a, a really fun new Indian restaurant here in Flatiron, which I, which I love. So we're going to be doing a tasting menu there and a, um, a, a nice special evening. And then I go on tour across the country, Chicago, Seattle, San Francisco, Houston,
3: Austin, um, sort of all over Denver. Right. And I'm looking forward to that. Awesome. And, and I, I would be reticent not to give people a sneak peek. We at the Brooklyn Kitchen, we are in talks with Sri to uh, do some Indian classes. So yep. the idea would be both to learn about the ingredients and the techniques and, and the food, but to watch some Bollywood alongside those. So I'm, I'm really excited about that. I think yeah, me too. A potential series um, where we do a Bollywood dinner and a movie. Yeah, uh, which would be so would much be fun. Really, right? really fun and a good time.
4: Yeah, and and people should come out and, and learn that that Indian food is actually really simple. Unlike other cuisines, like French food, is very complicated in terms of technique. The technique of Indian food is actually very straightforward. Yep. you just sauté some onions, you throw in some spices, and then you and then you add in your protein or your vegetables, and that's pretty much about it.
3: Yeah, and you know, and and I think as as Americans' palates have, have opened up, you know, in the last twenty five or thirty years, and and we've gone into being more fascinated by spices. Uh, it's only a natural progression uh, that we get more interested in Indian food mm-hmm. and from a standpoint that isn't just tandoori chicken <laughs> right, Yeah, <laughs> and chicken tikka masala. Yeah
4: and those spices you know now we're also starting to understand the medicinal value of a lot of these spices sure. you know like turmeric is all the rage now. Absolutely you know? I mean
3: and and we you know we, it's a whole nother show to talk about Ayurvedic exactly cooking, you know how you know talking about a, a, an ancient culture that has been using food and mm-hmm. pieces of food for their medicinal purposes for you you know, for millennia. So.
4: Yeah. So instead of buying a turmeric, shot for seven bucks yeah, right? you know
3: <laughs> yeah just make you know <laughs> just, you can make some kima exactly rice can get a little turmeric thing.
4: in your diet every day in a lot <laughs> cheaper way <laughs>
3: <laughs> well thanks tree it's been a real pleasure to have you on the show thank you thanks everybody for listening to feast your ears big thank you to david tatteshaw for engineering you can find feast your ears as well as lots of other great shows at heritageradionetwork.org on itunes stitcher wherever you get your podcasts please take a moment to like the show on itunes and reach out if you have any questions can find me Harry at thebrooklynkitchen.com. You can follow me on social media at thefoodballer, and I forgot to say you can find Sri on social media uh, at New York Sri. Exactly, and uh, New is yeah. Sri's website. Tour schedule is up there. Awesome. Thanks so much. Thank you. <laughs>
0: niggas mm-hmm.